Let's do our catechism today. Um, question 104. What do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. It's funny, when we were over at the hospital the other evening, Amy and I, and we were talking with Sandy, she brought this very promise up in the Word of God, that God will give us our daily bread. And we were talking about that health. It's just like the manna, isn't it? And you couldn't store up the manna. God gave it new every day. And He's got grace for every day, for every need that comes our way. And uh, we need to just pray to Him, Lord, give us our daily bread, exactly what we need for this day. Uh, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are the rather encouraged to ask, because by His grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. We are enabled by His grace from our heart to forgive others. I don't know what person out there you've been struggling with that has wronged you, maybe, and you struggle with forgiveness. And this isn't just something you've got to gin up on your own. Conjure it up. Go to God. Seek His grace to give you the grace to forgive as we've been forgiven. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Father, as we come to you today, we are just thankful that you give to us our daily bread. Well, you don't give to us our monthly bread, you don't give to us our yearly bread. It's a daily bread. It's what we need for the day. You told us, Lord, not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's got enough problems of its own. Seek first the kingdom, your righteousness. And all the things we need are added to us. Thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you provided for us exactly what we partake today in the Lord's table in memory and remembrance. Your broken body, which is bread, that sustains us, forgives us, restores us, Thank you, Lord, that your blood was shed for our sin. Help us because of the grace that we have been given to forgive. Help us, Father, to lay down at your feet, at the feet of the cross, our grudges, Our jealousies, our animosities, help us, Lord, to leave them there and to relinquish them to you, to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Lord, meet us today in, in our worship, in our study. May we leave here changed people. In Jesus' name, amen.
to take your Bibles before we do the Lord's Table. And um, Val, if I could have the screen back up for just a minute, I'd like to do that. Um, I'd like you to look at Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, chapter 3. Now, if you're going to have struggles with that, find the book of Matthew, right? That's the easy way to do it. And just go back a little bit. Find the book of Matthew and work back and you'll get there. Zechariah chapter 3. Probably been a while since you read the book of Zechariah for your morning devotions. It's a great vision, though, in Zechariah chapter 3. I was uh, watching the other day a Q&A that was done by the late R.C. Sproul. And he was sitting in front of a group of pastors and was taking questions from them. And we're just answering those questions. It was just kind of real laid back and formal. And it was just kind of a neat thing to hear his heart. And there were two questions that he was asked that really jumped out at me. One of them was, he was asked by one of the pastors, he says, what do you think is the biggest threat, the greatest threat to the church? I leaned into that one because I wanted to hear what he said. What do you think is the greatest threat to the church? What would you say if somebody asked you that? This was his answer. It is the temptation. So this is what it always is. It is the temptation to do the Lord's work the world's way. It is the temptation to do the Lord's work the world's way. And then he just went into an explanation of that and how that the church has to rely continually on the Spirit of God and the Word of God to accomplish God's work. It's not about our manipulations and our methods. It's about his power. And then he was asked by another guy, and this one I leaned in again. He was asked, so what is the most significant book that you have written? Well, I leaned into that one because I thought, I want to buy this one. What is the most significant book that you've written? He sat there for a minute and reminisced, and he said, well, holiness of God, that's had a big impact, and yada, yada, yada. He kind of went down the list, and he said, but if I had to say what is the most significant work, it would be this. The priest with the dirty clothes. It's a kid's book. We probably ought to buy that for our kids. The priest with the dirty clothes comes from Zechariah chapter 3. And it's really the story, and he tells it for kids, of how God imputes his righteousness to an unworthy sinner. The imputation of the righteousness of Christ in our justification. Just read with me real quickly, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. In Zechariah chapter 3, it says this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right hand. And who is Satan? He is the accuser of the brethren. He was standing there to accuse him. 
And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord and he was clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, the angel of the Lord says this, Jehovah God, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure clothing. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. What a beautiful vision that really depicts what the Lord does for us in clothing us in the righteousness of Christ. You know, as we come to the Lord's table every month, it's a time of examination. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of remembrance of what Christ has done for us. When we stand before the angel of the Lord, who is also always at our right hand to accuse us? Satan. And so we go to the Lord in the quietness of our heart, and what are the memories that come? All the accusations of Satan. But it is the Lord who rebukes him. It is the Lord who rebukes him. We don't have to go to our defense. The Lord does. And he is the one who has given to us his very righteousness. We don't come to the table because we are worthy of ourselves to come. We, become, we come because he is. So if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you have come to that understanding that your salvation is in him as a gift alone, by faith, and you have received him, we invite you to partake with us. And so as... The music is being played. Um, there are plates at the front and at the back, I believe. And you just avail yourself of the cup and of the bread. And then in a few minutes, I'll come back up and we'll just partake together. And then we'll continue with worship and song. Let's pray. Lord, meet with us in your word. We have, we have met with you as we have sung to you. Lord, you are King of Kings. Oh, this mystery that you are three in one, holy, thrice holy God. And you invite us to worship you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, you know that you have created us to worship. We are DNA. And yet, Father, we've committed evils. As mankind, we have rejected you, the fountain of living waters. We have hewn out for ourselves. Sisters, broken sisters. 
They hold no water. And so we are thirsty. Lead us, Lord, to the fountain of life. May those of us who know you rejoice in you today. May those who do not know you, Father, we pray that the Spirit and the Bride would say, Come, let him who is thirsty come, drink freely of the water of life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Look with me in John chapter 4. You know, worship is powerful stuff. We are created to worship. I was checking cattle early this morning, and before we went and fed, I was sitting in my truck waiting for Ty, and um, as I was sitting there, I was on my phone looking at a little video where Kirk Cameron was interviewing Michael W. Smith. And Michael W. Smith had just gotten back from Vietnam. And um, he had been ministering in Vietnam. And he was talking about how powerful it was to be leading in worship these people that didn't know English and to hear them in Vietnamese singing Agnes Day. And together in one voice, different languages, lifting praise to God. Worship is powerful. It's powerful in our souls. Now, worship is more than music, but music is a big part of worship, isn't it? We engage the Lord in song. We see that all in Scripture. It's interesting, the other night, when Amy and I were over in Idaho Falls at Ermac seeing Sandy and Byron, we talked with Sandy for a while, and then we went into the ICU room. It's always hard for me to go into an ICU room. I've been in so many of them, and they're filled with turmoil and tension. And Byron had been basically unresponsive all day. And uh, we prayed, we read scripture. And then I asked Sandy, I said, so what's Byron's favorite song? And she said, well, he loves Third Day. So, what Third Day do I know that I could sing here? So we tried, um, as your children gather in peace. And he started to cry. And ventilator in. Couldn't talk. I started fluttering. Started coming back to the surface. Sandy, can you hear us? Yeah. Amy put on her phone. Third day. We were hearts on fire in the ICU. Finally, the nurse come in and said, you've got to slow down in here. His heart rate's going too much. It's not helping him. So his heart was on fire. But literally, the power of worship. 
Now, God meets us in the broken spaces. He does so in singing. He does so in His Word. He did so at a well with a woman who was very broken. She was not broken physically. She was broken emotionally, spiritually, relationally. We've looked at this now for two weeks. We talked about various aspects of it. Today we want to think of the woman. In verse 10, Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. It will well up unto eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband. Come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are true in saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You Samaritans... You are worshiping what you don't know. We Jews, we are worshiping what we know, for salvation is coming from the Jews, out of the Jewish nation, the Torah, the Revelation, the Messiah, the Temple, all the things that foreshadowed the one who is speaking to her at this very moment. Salvation is coming from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And it's here. When the worshipers who are true will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking this kind of person worship. God is spirit. This goes to the very 
essence of the nature of God. We're not going to take a lot of time this morning to talk about the nature of God. This is a statement about his very nature. That God is not confined to a material body. Now, God can, in a theophany in the Old Testament, take on a material body, and he did so, and he came incarnate in Christ, but God is not confined to a body. He is invisible, he is immaterial, he transcends it. So God, in his very essence, the essence of who he is, is he is spirit. This is not just speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the third member of the Trinity, although he, of course, is spirit. It is talking about the essence of the Godhead. That is, we worship this three-in-one God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. He is spirit. And the one who worships him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know. Now, Jesus had said, you don't know what you're worshiping, but she does say here, I know, I know this, I know this from the Torah. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain to us everything. Jesus said, I am He. I am He. Winston Churchill once made this statement. Our dogs look up at us Our cats look down on us, and our pigs treat us as equals. (laughs) Pretty good statement. Our dogs look up at us. They always do, don't they? There's someone who's always glad when you come home. Dogs look up at us. Our cats, they do look down on us. And our pigs treat us as equals. That's why I don't have pigs anymore. I have several dogs. I love dogs. Cattle dogs. It's interesting to me. I watch my dog sometimes and love to get into his head. We're buds. Spend a lot of time together. He always seems to be happy. He's never got a crisis going on. He never seems to have a bad day. He's just... He, he never, like... He's like, you know, I'm just like really sick of this cow thing. I'm going to go off on a journey and try to find myself. <laughs> right? We people are very different. St. Augustine said this, You have formed us for yourself. 
and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. My dog ain't in that crisis. I don't know what dogs know. But he's just happy who he is, doing what God made him to be. People are different. There is this empty hole. There is this giant void. We sense it young in life, don't we? We sense it very young in life. We do things that are wrong. We ask ourselves, why? We ask ourselves, how do I deal with that? How do I atone for that? How do I fix that? We ask ourselves, why do people hurt us? Why do people say mean and nasty things about us? We look at the world. We look at war. We look at natural disasters. We look at turmoil. We look at governments that break down and banks that fail and jobs that get ate up by new technology. And our world is always in change. We have private turmoil. Sins we struggle with, relationships that are hard. And sometimes the weight of it gets heavy and we say, I'm just going to go find myself. I'm restless. There's a hole. As this woman is walking to the well and she is carrying a pot that she is to fill with water, the birds are singing. It's around noon. I'm sure in many ways it's a beautiful day. And yet undoubtedly in her mind, strife. Along the trail of life, she's lost some families. Now, we just read that, we just say it, but we don't often stop to think about that trail and that carnage. It's kind of like the way we do it with John chapter 8 when we read about the woman taken in adultery and we, we read how Jesus forgave her and how great that is and how tremendous it is and, and we, we relish in that and we thank God for it and we know that she is restored and yet we also think through it if we really think deeply. Yeah, that's kind of a mess. She is lame with a man who is not her husband. And how do you fix that? And along the trail of this woman's life, undoubtedly, there are kids. And there's been other towns she lived in and other people that she affected. And there's damage. And it's real. And maybe as she's carrying water from the 
uh, or, or carrying the pot to the well to, to draw her water. She's thinking about those children. And maybe she's wondering how those children are going to be fed because she doesn't have any court-ordered you know, child support. And she didn't know what to do, so she moved in with this other guy, and he's kind of a bum, and he beats her up sometimes, but I don't know what to do because i got to take care of these kids. And I mean, this is real life. She gets to the well, and she prepares to draw water, and somebody says something, and she notices a guy that's sitting. Would you give me a drink? And he has an agenda. And he's going somewhere in their conversation. Last week we talked about excuses. Excuses why we don't share the gospel. Excuses that maybe Jesus could have used. You know, things like, you know, I'm on a schedule. You know, I've got a destination to get to. I've got to get to Galilee, you know, and I'm just busy here. I don't got time for her. I don't got time to fix her problems. You know, sometimes we do that. We don't talk to people. Or maybe it's, you know, I'm just too tired. And, you know, Jesus was weary from his journey. Or I'm distracted. Or personal bias or fears. And these are excuses that we use so that we don't engage someone. But you know what? On the other side, there are also excuses this woman could have used. Why she should not believe in this Jesus. And if I am a betting man, and I am not, but nevertheless, if I was a betting man, I would say that we have used these excuses. In our conversation with Jesus, you know, Jesus knocks on the door of our heart, we're reading our Bible, we're worshiping him, and all of a sudden he knocks on the door of our heart, and he says something to us, I I need you to give me some water, and we're like, no, I am too busy for this. I got too much going on right now, God. Just leave me alone. Come back another time. This does not fit my schedule. I'm too busy. You know, when you're too busy, God has a way of clearing your schedule sometimes. And changing it. Just leave me alone. Maybe we could say something like, you know, this is really going to mess my life up. This Jesus said. This just is not very convenient. I am a Samaritan. Don't you know that? You know, the herd instinct is very powerful in humans. We kind of get in our tribe... In our group, and we become identified with that. That's who we are. And this woman is a Samaritan. And Jesus is talking to her, and she's already said, We've talked about this before. You know, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman. Just leave me alone. Well, Jesus keeps on knocking. Jesus persisted. And she could have said, You know, this is, you know, if I deal with this, 
this is really inconvenient for me. Because we worship, don't you know, we worship on Mount Gerizim. And we are the descendants of Joseph. All those things we talked about, all those things we studied, Jesus, this is not convenient for me. They're going to mess up my world. There are people out there that maybe there's generational ties, family heritages. And all of a sudden, Jesus knocks on your door. And it's like, uh, this is going to mess up my life. Here's the other excuse we like to use a lot. Don't you know I've made such a mess of my life? Don't you know who I am? And yet this does not seem to be an impediment at all to Jesus, does it? He addresses it. And she says, yeah, I've had five husbands, the guy I've got now, he ain't my husband. But it doesn't seem at all to face him, does it? You know, he's not like the counselor that somebody spills their guts to and the counselor's sitting there and he goes, oh my goodness. That, you know, don't do that if you're a counselor, right? Oh my goodness. Uh, what were you thinking, you idiot? Why did you do that? You know, you may want to do that when somebody says something, do you? You know, it's not... Jesus doesn't pull that out. Jesus just takes it in stride. What you said is true. This is a beautiful thing that Jesus is doing to this woman. He knows this is the elephant in the room. He knows that this thing is what is going to keep her from him. And he is not even fixing it here, is he? He's not fixing it. He is just trying to get her to do what? If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us. He's not fixing it. He's not taking it away. He is getting her to a place where she what? Acknowledges it. That's beautiful. You may have an excuse why you should not believe. I think it is interesting. You know, fundamental question. We, we, we asked ourselves last week, you know, in 30 minutes, perhaps, this conversation, Jesus takes this woman from a skeptic to a believer. Let's say the conversation is 30 minutes. I don't know what it is. How did she go? She is hostile to him. She is hostile to his person and to his message. And yet in about 30 minutes, she goes from being a skeptic to be his greatest evangelist to date. And we'll see that next week because she goes back into the city and she brings everybody out. And she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
She becomes his biggest evangelist. How did she go from being a skeptic to an evangelist in 30 minutes? You know, there's a lot of things. You know, what moved her to faith in Jesus? Ultimately, the answer to the question is this. Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked this once. He was a great preacher from London. And he was asked by somebody, why should I become a Christian? If somebody asked you that, why should I become a Christian? What would you say? You know what Martin Luther, Lloyd-Jones said? Why should I become a Christian? Because it's true. In the end, that's the only reason to become a Christian. Because it's true. If it is not true, don't waste your time. Find some other crutch. The only reason, ultimately, to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, to put all your eggs in his basket, and to relinquish your life for him, is because what he has said is true. And what, now this gets us to the point of the message, what convinced her that this man who was speaking to her was true? Go call your husband. That question. People do not become Christians because all of a sudden all their intellectual arguments are erased. In fact, the deeper you go, the more you may at times struggle with understanding what this all means. Don't expect that all your intellectual arguments are going to be erased. Don't expect that if you become a follower of Jesus, he's going to fix all your problems. He's not. Not till glory. The reason people become Christians is because they meet a person who tells them the truth and knows the truth. And you and I know he does. Many times, on a Sunday, I'll have somebody go out and they'll say to me, man, you must have my address because you are reading my mail. You were talking just to me. You know what I always say? I really wasn't. I was talking to me. I don't know you. I don't know what's going on. But you know what? There is someone who does. And he reads your mail. And he sees your inbox. And he knows your thoughts. And he says to you, go get your husband. And he got you. And you know. 
And there's no other person in the universe that can do that. Lulu couldn't. Muhammad can't. The witch at Endor couldn't. Only Jesus. Why should I become a Christian? Because he's true. And to worship him, you must worship him in spirit and truth. True worship happens when our head and our heart are in the same place. You can have it all in your head. You can know it all. You can know all about Jesus and you can know every book of the Bible. But if it ain't your heart, it ain't true worship. You can be sincere as the day is long. Your spirit can be great. I mean, think about all the false religions that are out there who say, man, when we worship, I feel the spirit. You ever notice that? You can be sincere. But if you don't have the truth, it ain't true worship. True worship happens when our head, truth, and the heart, spirit, meet in one place. And that's what God is seeking. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room today that your Holy Spirit is convicted. Lord, help them to stop coming up with excuses and to just lay them at the foot of the cross and to trust you. For us who know you, May we learn to worship. In deeper, in more meaningful ways, as we long to reach out and connect with you by the Spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.